23 minutes after 7 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro. We take a look at the latest out in the world of business. Joined on the line tonight to take a look at this by Portfolio Manager, 27 for Investment Managers, and that is Akona Mlamlele. Akona, good evening. Welcome. Thank you very much. Good evening, Ayabonga, to the listeners this evening. Yeah, you're well. I'm good, thank you. Hey, just uh, in the dark, but yeah. What's happened this time around? But you go collapse unit as E5 or something. Yeah, some four of something oh, when they come out with their early messaging before we all woke up this morning. Oh, yeah. jeepers. Okay, all right. But uh, yeah, I guess uh, let's take a quick look at some company news. Uh, saw some numbers coming out, quarterly numbers from Cash Build. Uh, I found these a bit interesting. And also, I guess. They were one of the companies that had a boon during the COVID-19 moment as everybody wanted to renovate their homes and as they spent a lot more time in their homes. Uh, but they gave us some operational update about new stores opened, some closed. Uh, but what do you make of how they've performed? Yeah, so um, Cashback uh, did provide an operational update um, today um, for the first quarter of the financial. Um, and as you indicated, they did communicate that they are closing some stores so and also opening new stores. So they've indicated that about four new stores were opened um, since July of last year. Mm. Um, however, they did also experience um, a disclosure um, of stores, approximately 5% that decreased. Um, so they did also communicate that um, transaction and also of capital gold also decreased by 7%, um, and also the new stores obviously contributing 1% to the increase of those existing um, stores. But I think it's quite an interesting one because, as you indicated, uh, last year they were obviously on a COVID boom um, where you have alluded to some of the renovations a lot of people were doing, sitting at home, working from home. But unfortunately, um, fast forward to this year, I think their fortunes unfortunately have turned around. Um, I think revenue continues to come under significant pressure, um, not only um, inflation being a, quite a challenging um, component, particularly of their business, but um, I think they are very much being impacted by their co- consumer base, um, which is mm. currently struggling. Um, so their consumer base, unfortunately, they've indicated, I know, when they came out with their financial year results at the end of June of this year, um, they did allude to, obviously, cost pressures, particularly for these consumers. Um, with obviously high fuel prices and um, also market conditions and, con- and consumers being very much under pressure, um, which is significantly impacting um, particularly those revenue numbers um, that we're currently seeing, particularly in this operational update that they provided to us. Your, your sense, I guess, of uh, also some of the new growth or not that they've seen in some of their operations outside of South Africa? Yeah, so um, if you recall last year, they had communicated that there was a potential transaction with TEPCO. Um, to mm. buy a building company, but unfortunately that didn't um, realize, unfortunately. Um, however, they have um, closed some stores, particularly in um, Zambia, so they withdrew from Zambia, um, closed two stores that were currently there, but they've indicated that they want to focus, particularly in the medium term, um, on growing the South African base um, and obviously continue to obviously increase those cash flow stores um, and obviously realizing some of those opportunities um, that they're currently pursuing. Um, so they have refocused to South Africa um, and obviously the close of the Zambian stores, but they still have operations in our neighboring countries such as Lesotho, Eswatini, Botswana and Namibia. Um, so I think that will be their growth trajectory going forward. But I think we often know the pressures that the consumer is faced with, but I think also the building environment um, also continues to um, not realize or come 
to quite nicely in terms of the, some, some of the numbers that we've seen um, on growth, particularly in that building environment um, sector, um, due to the um, infrastructure not coming or being implemented um, um, timelessly. Mm, mm. And that's one I guess we'll certainly have to follow. But um, let's shift our attention to pick and pay. For the first time, they now report their boxer numbers. But before we get to those numbers, um, what do you make of that double-digit improvement in revenue, but also, I guess, on the cost side of things, a lot of pressures there as well? Um, I think it's a good start, um, Ayabonga. Um, pick and pay reporting strong growth, particularly um, for the first trading period under the Equifamily strategic plan, um, which they communicated to the market in May. Um, so they saw group turnover increase by 11.5%, um, coming from $46 billion to about $51.3 billion mm. for the 26 weeks um, in the um, 28th of August of this year. Um, so these numbers are obviously quite decent. And they also indicated that group turnover also came through quite nicely um, on a year-on-year basis at up 11.5%. Um, however, they did also caution that these numbers were obviously coming from a low base um, where previously... The last year specifically, they were impacted due to the silver unrest that took place in July um, and also the disruptions in terms of the um, COVID-19 liquor trading restrictions of last year, which did negatively impact particularly that base. Uh, but I think it's a set of good numbers um, with regards to the new strategic plan. Um, it seems to be um, coming along quite nicely mm. um, with uh, with the Equifemi um, strategic plan splitting the pick and pay supermarkets um, into two banners, um, the QualiSave um, targeting more of the lower to medium income customers, and then obviously the pick and pay serving the middle to upper income customers. So it is an environment, particularly, uh, we'll talk to boxers shortly, but it is an environment that's quite interesting um, as a lot of consumers obviously shifting, particularly their spending patterns um, during these trying times. So it's mm. interesting to see how um, how these big four retailers um, are able to capture the different segments of the African market. Yeah, and I guess that QualiSafe player was really about, um, in many ways, having like a corresponding segmentation. I mean, we've also heard Spa thinking of something similar. I'm not sure what that mm. might look like, but... Uh, I think there's also been some partnership between them and um, some of these neighborhood retailers, Save More, I think, or something like that. Um, so, so it does seem that I think more and more people are trying to access that poorer segment of the market. But for the first time here, we see boxes numbers reported on separately. And uh, yeah, I mean, you don't get sales growth of 27.2% in retail all of the time. What's happening in that discount retail market segment that is uh, accounting for all of this bumper sales growth? Yeah, so I think with regards to the, there's a big race, um, I think, particularly between the SA's best counters um, with Boxer and with um, peers such as your USAID and ShopRite. Mm. So it's a very much a market in the grocery um, market outside of obviously the big four ShopRite, Pick and Pay, Spa and Woolworths. But it's a, it's a market that um, is very much growing and obviously needs to be kept in. And sure. we've seen the likes of USAID and ShopRite dominate that in the in with over a decade. Um, but I think they're making inroads, Pick and Pay is making inroads, particularly with Boxer, and obviously infiltrating particularly this um, target market. Um, so as you've indicated, the boxes, South African year-on-year sales growth was um, just over 27%, um, which is obviously quite pleasing. Um, so that came through quite nicely, and that was one of the star performance alongside that pick-and-pay clothing, with, which also continued to gain market share um, with about 14.8% sales growth, um, which also translated into online sales, 
which were obviously quite decent, up 82%. Mm. Um, and with that pick and pay closing, they've indicated that they've opened about just over 28 new standalone stores um, with sort of future prospect of growing, particularly um, this market um, going forward. Mm-hmm. Okay, gross profit margins also, I guess, for the group coming in strong there at around 19.4%. That's where, I mean, I, I looked at the margins for some of their competitors around the same terrain. Um, but I'm quite interested also, whenever we look at retailers, what do you make of selling price inflation? So, you know, I mean, it might be that you're getting a lot of volumes by way of sales and good growth there. But if um, the prices um, at a producer level or the input prices of what you, it is that you sell are also growing in tandem, it might make any improvement very negligible. What's happening there? Yeah, so maybe just starting with that growth um, profit margin, which increased from about 18.2% to 9.4%, um, which equates about in rand value just $10 billion. Um, however, this was obviously coming from some of the depressed um, cost pressures and also the disruption of last year, which is, I spoke to earlier on. Mm. Um, and then just touching on that, um, the selling price inflation, um, that came through at approximately 7.2% for the period. And also just showcasing um, the high inflationary environment that we're currently in. Um, so it's selling price with, uh, obviously coming below CPI food, um, which was about 8.6 in June to actually about 11.3 um, in August. So yeah, so they are obviously coming in below that's CPI food number, um, but unfortunately, um, consumers are stretched um, and obviously having to count every rand that they're currently spending. Just out of interest, um, you know, Akon, I mean, why are, I mean, I would think, okay, so pick and pay sells stuff that they would get from the likes of Tiger Brands as manufacturers and so on. Why are the gross profit margins of retailers, uh, be it clothing retailers or even food retailers, lower than the gross profit margins of some of the manufacturers. So, I mean, if you look at Tiger Brands, which, you know, sells a lot of the stuff that one would find on the shelves out at um, a pick and pay or any of their competitors, uh, their numbers always show much higher gross margins. I mean, around 29, 28, 30% or so. Just out of interest. I mean, I've always wondered. Yeah, so I think maybe just in terms of the, the competition, particularly, so you mentioned oh, the, sure. lack of your, the road feeds and the, obviously the, your RCLs and so forth. Um, so I think it's just some of the, the cost pressures and obviously the competition that these guys um, have to play against each other. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, so it, it is obviously a, a more higher, um, but it, it will be interesting because maybe just to dig it down further in terms of um, what particularly those numbers um, particularly entail. Mm, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, just uh, out of interest there. But let's let let's go to Transnet now. Um, I mean, we're hearing some numbers here. I don't know if um, you also heard some of the same numbers. Eighty-five million rand a day is the cost, um, or is it eight fifty? Not not too sure of the two numbers. The cost for the mining sector per day of uh, in lost exports uh, of uh, the strike out of Transnet. It seems Untu as um, as the majority union there has uh, decided to call its action off. But Satao is still hanging in there. Yeah, so Transnet um, late yesterday actually announced that they had reached um, the agreement with the United National Transport Union, um, a.k.a. Um, UNTU, for a three-year wage deal. Um, so UNTU um, represents just um, about 50, 54% of the unionized employees of Transnet. Um, so 
how this will work, particularly with regards to the statement that came out yesterday, that the deal will um, obviously backward-looking um, commence from the 1st of April of this year and also end in March of 2025. Um, the announced deal was obviously includes a 6% increase um, for year one, 5 to 5.5% um, increase in year two, and the 6% increase in year three. Um, and obviously with the deal, struck by UNTU and um, Transnet, it does end the current industrial strikes action, particularly for those unionized members under UNTU. Um, however, they did indicate that um, they have obviously agreed, particularly with regards to the, the bargaining of these employees and how these um, will be remunerated for the next two years. Um, and as you said, um, the likes of Satawu, um, the South African Transport and Allied Workers Union, um, have un- unfortunately indicated that that their members won't be accepting this current offer that um, UNTU has signed this transfer. Mm. So they obviously have indicated um, UNTU or labeled into as a betrayal um, for obviously for coming to the 6% um, agreement. Um, so we will have to wait um, how this pans out in terms of the way forward, particularly for the power. But I think it will um, shift now, particularly for some of these members and um, transmit just to clear some of the black backlogs that have accumulated for just over a week, and also some of the costs from the port and rail system, particularly during this um, industrial action that has taken place. Just out of interest, um, the the type of deal UNTU signed on to here, what kind of things does it involve? Yeah, so they indicated that uh, in their statement that the, although the 6%, unfortunately, was not exactly equal to consumer price index. Mm. Um, it did indicate that it was obviously closer to the original um, 1% offer. Um, so, uh, as I've indicated, Satawi did slam this, um, but it will obviously progress as it goes on 6% on the one year, 5% in year two, and 6% in year three. And, and then the other element, I guess, uh, is you know, if you th- one thinks about the numbers of people you need to operate ports. Uh, you know, freight rail and so on. Um, the resumption of work here, I mean, it must clear some of those backlogs, but uh, I would think that some of them uh, are losses that are irreparable or irredeemable. Yeah, because as you recall, um, the agricultural sector um, is obviously going into their season and um, exporting some of their goods, um, so there could be uh, foregone losses there in terms of some of the projects that they export um, globally or internationally. Um, so these are just some of the costs um, that are currently um, infiltrating particularly the different sectors such as agriculture. You mentioned earlier on the mining sector, um, also counting the losses of um, possible losses um, that, sh- that were seen from this backlog and um, this, this strike, the industrial action strike. Yeah, yeah. We'll leave it here for tonight. Uh, maybe just the last one before I let you go. Um, Petro SA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting one here. So, so talk to me about what PetroSA does in the trading side of things, because um, I mean, I think I would join many of our listeners, um, you know, who might be curious in saying what actually does PetroSA do. We also know a few years ago, or just a few months ago, they had an issue with one of their refineries. There's an issue with a gas to liquids plant, uh, which is short of gas feedstock, um, and we can have an entire discussion about that. But what has happened here? It seems uh, a fuel trading deal gone wrong. Who do they sell fuel to? Yeah, so the state-owned oil company, Petrose, um, unfortunately, um, continues to struggle financially. Um, and they 
are intended to supply the oil industry, um, particularly their plant in Muscle Bay, um, with um, fuel for the fuel industry. So um, I know they very much um, supply the likes of your other SOEs, um, particularly fuel, um, such as ESCOM. Mm. Um, if you recall, like a few weeks ago, when there was significant load shedding, um, where it was due to fuel being um, in a ship um, somewhere around and because of the weather conditions um, could not um, arrive soon. So there are supplier um, of um, state-owned companies such as ESCOM um, and also some of the supply, uh, also supply some of the oil industry companies. Um, but unfortunately, their niche um, has unfortunately dwindled, particularly in the last few years, um, due to some mismanagement and also financial irregularities that have taken place, um, particularly at Petrosa. Um, just talking to the story, and the, the, the obviously Petrose was said to be have broken a deal um, of approximately 320 million, particularly in this fuel deal. Um, unfortunately, it could be a loss-making one um, due to the timing of the purchasing of some of this fuel. Um, so this particularly is currently under investigation with the report um, having been done been done by an external party, um, which have been, has been also provided to Petrosa um, in terms of the, the price that they purchased it and also after they purchased it, um, the decline, particularly in the price um, per liter, particularly coming to unleaded petrol 95, which could um, incur for the um, state and all company mm. financial losses um, and also just put a detriment, particularly for this company. We know last month, late last month, the CEO um, mutually um, ended um, his um, employment with um, Petro SA, and they are currently still seeking to fill that positioning. Um, so we will just wait in terms of um, how the board does receive particularly this report, um, which was commissioned. As it indicated, it's still in progress, yeah. um, and also the outcome of this investigation will determine the actions that Petro SA needs to take. Only time will tell. It's certainly one we're going to be following quite closely. But, uh, yeah, as always, a pleasure catching up with you. And uh, thank you very much for your time, Akon. Thank you very much, Aya. That there was Akon Amlamleli, Portfolio uh, uh, Manager out at 27.4 Asset Managers, speaking to us this evening for our wrap of the top business stories.